chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardbound one around you. This morning's passage can be found on page 869. Um, yeah, I do want to add my voice to all the other voices. Happy Mother's Day. Um, so grateful for all the mothers here. What a joy it is to be able to honor you. hope you feel the rest and refreshment of the Lord that comes from the gospel. Um, that is a sincere just wish and desire and prayer that we have today. Um, but also, we also simultaneously want to see the Spirit minister to those um, that maybe have had to say goodbye to their moms or long to be moms that can't be moms or long to be married. Um, just that Jesus is big enough to minister to everyone in the room today. So we believe that. Um, so this morning, uh, there, there's certain times when the church calendar kind of matches up with current events in such a way that you feel like you need to speak on a certain topic. And so this morning we're going to talk about celebrating and empowering women. Um, we wanted to do uh, a message on womanhood uh, inside this church. But as events have transpired really over the last couple of years, um, I'm sure you've been exposed to the reality of the Me Too movement um, that exists not just outside the church that affected Hollywood, but also the vast number of people that have come out and been abused inside the church. And then the church itself, I'm talking about the Big C Church, um, has kind of covered a lot of that up and pushed that to the side, uh, causing many women to feel unsafe in the place that they should feel the most safe. Um, Women were safe and attracted to the ministry of Jesus, and the church of Jesus Christ should be exactly the same. Um, Combine that with the fact this past week, or within the last 10 days or so, Beth Moore, um, who is about as close to the Holy Spirit as we can get in our present age, um, felt compelled to come out and speak about her experience being a woman that's gifted to lead inside the evangelical world and talking about the marginalization and the, really the, the sexualization that she's experienced trying to be a leader in the church of God. And so um, when there are so many women that are vying for just this idea of being heard, it's important for us, I think, as a, ch- as a church culture to ask Um, What are the situations that kind of gave rise to this? And then how um, do we begin to build a culture um, that's radically different and hopefully reflective of God's heart uh, for women? And so I came across uh, this blog post uh, from J.D. Greer, and it comes from a sermon that he did on Deborah from the Old Testament. Um, Actually, I think I heard this sermon a few years ago. And I think it brilliantly gets to the heart of the matter of why um, women can feel unsafe and marginalized inside local churches. Um, But more than that, I think it gives us a way forward, and I want that to kind of shape our conversation this morning. So I'm going to read a lengthy portion, and uh, if you want a copy of this, I can get it for you. Um, He says, My wife and I have three daughters aged 11 nine and seven, and we managed to sneak a boy in there at the end, but ours is a house full of women. So the story of Deborah, the first and only female judge in Israel, speaks of what I hope for my daughters, what I dream for them, and what I pray over them. More than almost any other passage in Scripture, Deborah's story emphasizes a truth that evangelical churches too often neglect, 
And that is that God gives to women every spiritual gift that he gives to men. There is a myth alive that men should be taught deep, rich theology while women should learn how to match curtains with their pillows or how to be a good housewife or how not to feel sad on rainy days. As one prominent author points out, if you attend most Christian women events, they teach from Ephesians, and you bet they'll stick to Ephesians chapter 5, talking about the role of wife in marriage, as if the rest of Ephesians is written for men, and Paul threw in a few verses just to appease the ladies. At the risk of stating the obvious, let me be clear, the whole book of Ephesians is for women, and so is the entire Bible. If women want to know God's will for their lives, if they want to be shown what God desires for them, they had better not limit themselves to Ephesians 5 and Proverbs 31. Every chapter of every book in the entire Bible is for women, and they need to know it all. Women shaped by God's Word will not grow up to be weak and superficial waifs. They will become leaders. Deborah certainly was. She was a prophet, the wisest person in all of Israel. People came to her for godly counsel, and she led the nation through a time of oppression and war. Now, some people look at Deborah and try to say that the only reason that she led was because there weren't any real men around to lead. But nothing in the book of Judges indicates that. Yes, Barak, her military, or Barak, her military counterpart, may have wavered in his faith, but the text never says that Deborah's leadership is a shame on the nation of Israel. Instead, it says Deborah, Deborah judged and led because God had gifted her to do so. And so his heart for his church, I think, is our heart for this church. He says, our ministry to women at the summit doesn't always aim just to simply create better wives and mothers. Yes, if that's God's role for you, we want to equip you to do it for his glory. But women's ministry needs to be more, uh, more than about being a wife or a mother. It also needs to be about seeing women leverage their lives for the kingdom of God. And when God has called women to lead, it means that we equip them to lead. So that's, that's what we're going to be talking about. And this is, this is the heart of the tension. He says, at this point, you're going to be inclined to ask, are you saying that there are no distinctions between men and women's roles? Not in the least. In both the Old and the New Testaments, God establishes certain positions that he reserves only for men and others he reserves only for women. Women, for example, were never priests in the Old Testament and asked for Deborah Even though she led the nation of Israel through wise government, she didn't lead the army. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul points out that the role of pastor and elder is one that only men can hold from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this is is how this culture is created. Where people get tripped up is in thinking that, that these distinct roles create a dichotomy. Either you have no distinction of roles at all, or you believe that women can only serve in some kind of diminutive role, that they should never be leaders in any sphere. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is how do we create a culture that's radically different from that? How do we create a culture here at Fellowship Jonesboro where women feel loved and celebrated and valued and able to be raised up to fulfill their kingdom purpose, while still believing that there are certain distinctions that God has ordained for our good. So the truth is, if you only focus on any potential distinctions and prohibitions without celebrating and affirming what God does make clear 
um, we create an, an oppressive environment for women. So um, I think, honestly, if regardless of what you think about the gender roles of men and women inside the church, if the church would just celebrate and affirm the things that God has made clear, it would be a much more happy and a much more joyous place. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, and we're going to begin by looking at several snapshots from the New Testament of the way that Jesus um, described and women lived out discipleship in the early church. And so if you have your Bibles open, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, right now, I so want to connect with your word and your heart. I pray that I would not overspeak or underspeak the truth of your word. I pray that you would send your spirit to apply it to our hearts, that we would walk in freedom and love and in joy, which you have designed for us, both for men and for women. So I pray that you would help me um, just to be clear today. I pray that you would help me to be filled with both love and boldness. And I pray for all of us that you would create really an an environment where women are celebrated and valued and empowered rather than marginalized and impressed. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at several snapshots from the New Testament. We're going to see how women lived out discipleship in the ministry of Jesus and in the early church. I mean, it's just like um, recently I had to go back through and clean out my camera because uh, my children, when they get it, they like to take a lot of selfies. And so um, when I do that, though, I'm able to get a a really good snapshot of everything that's happened inside my year. And so uh, it's a wonderful exercise, and that's kind of the goal of what we're doing here this morning is to be able to look at the big scope of what the New Testament does affirm and celebrate about the calling and the worth and the value of women. Now, I realize that not everyone's going to agree with everything that I say here this morning, and that's not the point, honestly. The point is to realize the gravity of what we're talking about here, that there are um, both inside Scripture and then in our larger community that there are women that are crying out for a voice. And I think um, we would do well to listen and to heed and to try to understand and to try to make some really clear statement about what the New Testament actually does say about the role of women. And if you don't walk away with anything else, I mean, if you are here and you are a woman, it is my sincere prayer that you would know that you are loved, that you are valued, that you are a daughter of the King of Kings. And on the other hand, I also want you to have this great confidence 
that nothing in heaven or on earth can thwart his plan and his purpose for your life, right? Both of those things are true from Scripture. We're going to celebrate both of those. Now, it's going to be difficult for us to get our 21st century mind around what's taking place in Luke chapter 10 with Mary and Martha. Historically and absolutely accurately, it is interpreted as this picture of discipleship, Mary's, I mean, Martha is busy with a lot of serving. She's in the kitchen, and, and Mary is given as this example of what does it mean to really follow Jesus and to sit at his feet, and both of those things are absolutely true. But the thing that we can miss, because we are in this Western culture that's already been shaped by the truth of Christianity, is the fact that this was absolutely radical. What this was, was Mary, who was a woman that is sitting at a rabbi's feet, right? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he's done more than any person in the history of the world to affirm and to empower women. There is no one on the face of the earth that's done more to change the way that women are viewed in the world. So this story was told in a context where women were not valued. Um, Women were viewed as mere property. Their testimony was not accepted in a court of law. they were marginalized and abused, to say the least. And so to the original recipients of the Gospel of Luke, like from a, a Greco-Roman perspective, from a Jewish perspective, that Jesus would say of a woman, this is my picture of discipleship, that you need to be like Mary, people's jaws would have dropped to the floor. This was a radical concept. Which brings me to my first point. Discipleship is, devi- is defined by relationship with Jesus and not by gender. So I want you to kind of, let's get our minds around what is it like to be a woman in the first century. John Ortberg writes this. He says, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, where there was a huge shortage of women, about 140 men for every 100 women, he said, what happened to the other women? They were left to die when they got born the wrong sex. A first-century letter from a husband to his pregnant wife shows the severe contrast of his tender regard for his wife and hoped-for son versus his disregard for a possible daughter. He says, And I ask you and beg of you to take good care of our baby son. If you are delivered of a child before I get home, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, discard it. You have sent me word, don't forget you. How can I forget you? Don't worry. So the normal posture of a first century person in the Greco-Roman world is to value sonship and to discard women. So for Jesus to be able to pull women close, to bring them in his inner circle, to have them sit at his feet as disciples, radically changed the shape of the world. And Western society, where this has been embraced, where womanhood has been celebrated, women flourish. You can look at Eastern contexts where that truth is not affirmed. I mean, they are marginalized. They are oppressed. They are still viewed as property. Elise Fitzpatrick in her book, Finding the Love of Jesus, says this, Jesus' love for women was costly. During his earthly ministry, he was scorned because of it. He was a man who crossed over lines of proper decorum to express his love for women. They were welcomed into his inner circle of followers, and he freely allowed them to hear his teaching. 
Rather than restricting them to conventional domestic roles, he chided busy Martha and told her that her sister Mary had chosen the one necessary activity when she shunned her kitchen duties to sit at the feet at his feet and learn from him. So if there's anything that I want you to take away from this morning, it's it's this idea that Jesus loves and values women. He welcomes them to sit at his feet, welcomes them into his inner circle. There's not two forms of discipleship. Yes, it's helpful sometimes for men and women to get into different contexts so that discipleship can go deeper and further, but there's not two plans. There's not like the guy plan and the girl plan, right, where, where the women just get together and they, they sew or they knit or they crochet and, and the guys get together and they hunt and they talk about the Bible, those kinds of things, right? The idea is discipleship happens in relationship to Jesus, and there is this real temptation inside of the church to, to um, relegate discipleship to the role of being a wife and a mother. Those things are wonderful gifts. They are necessary gifts to the church as a whole. But I, I mean, I was trying to put myself in a woman's shoes this week. Like if all I ever heard about my existence on planet Earth was about being a father or a husband, I think I would go insane. You know, I, I mean, I want to I be honest about that. So I think the, the, the reality is we need to at least celebrate and affirm what Jesus says here, that women are coming and they're being included. And, and, and when we make and when we reduce discipleship for women down to the role of wife and a mother, what happens is those that aren't married and those that aren't mothers end up feeling like they're less, right? That they're not valuable. So what we want to do is affirm that discipleship is about being loved and called and following Jesus regardless of your station in life. So that's what Jesus affirms. That's what we want to affirm. When we don't do this, God's glory is diminished and the church is less effective. So we want to affirm that discipleship is not about gender, but it's about relationship and following Jesus The next snapshot we want to look at is from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. should be on the screen for you. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, see, shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So what we have here is the day of Pentecost. Peter is explaining what's going on here, that God himself, because of the victory of Jesus, as a symbol and a, as a picture and as a representation of that, he's decided he's going to pour out his very spirit on all flesh. Right? And there's no distinction there. It's, it's men and women. It's sons and daughters. It's old, it's young. All, everyone is equally a recipient of the Spirit of God. Which brings me to my next point. Men and women equally have access to every spiritual gift. Men and women equally have access to every spiritual gift. Now, nowhere in Scripture... Do we see there's a guy list and a girl list, right? I mean, there's, there's nothing about uh, maybe women are more fashion conscious. I think that, I mean, you can celebrate that. But, I mean, the reality is if you look at 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans chapter 12, all of those are lists for the whole church. And what you see in the ministry of Paul 
is that he is celebrating and affirming all of those gifts that are at work inside the church. Um, It seems like throwaway language, like if you're reading your Bible and you're just reading the conclusion of the the book of Romans in your own, I mean, you're just kind of like, why is he talking about all these people? But there's this long list of men and women that are both bringing their gifts to bear on the kingdom of God. Because men and women both are empowered by the same Spirit. Now, as a dad, there's nothing I enjoy more than catching my kids doing something right. <laughs> um, there's so many times where I can catch them doing something wrong, but it's beautiful when they don't even know that I'm watching and they work together and they learn from one another, where they encourage one another, where they celebrate one another. And what's really cool is, I mean, I have boys and girls at work in my house. Like, they're serving together. And they're able to work together to accomplish something. And that's beautiful. I mean, that's just a micro picture of what the church is supposed to be. Brothers and sisters affirming and encouraging one another, right? Not holding each other back, but we're saying, like, listen, I would be absolutely lost, not just without my wife, but without the gifts of other women that exist inside of this church that have helped me to be more accurate in my proclamation of the gospel, that have helped me just to understand a little bit more what it's like to walk in a woman's shoes. Like, I absolutely need that perspective, right? And I'm not the only one. We as a church need to not only realize that women have gifts, but we need to celebrate those and we need to make room for those. Um, It's just assumed in the New Testament. Um, Acts chapter 21 talks about uh, Philip, who was one of the first deacons. says he had four daughters who were unmarried and they prophesied. Like that's all that's written about them in the scriptures. But what's really cool about that is the fact that um, they were known... Just, not just in their relationship to their father Philip, but the fact that they were gifted by God, that they were gifted with hearing the voice of God. So inside the early church, like these were women that were helping to shape the identity and the mission and hearing from God. So I think that's just the norm of the New Testament. So if it's the norm in the New Testament, it needs to be the norm for us as well. So we want to make room for the gifts of women. And a good way to apply this for ourselves is just to, like when you're going through Scripture, not to skip over the names. I mean, these represent real people, real lives, real gifts. The next snapshot is from Acts chapter 16. It's the story of Lydia. Acts 16, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So... What we see in Acts 16 is a picture of Lydia. She is a worshiper of God. She's gathered by this river in Philippi. God opens 
her heart to pay attention to what Paul is saying. She's born again. She sees Jesus. And the first thing that she does is begin to open up her home to care for Paul and Silas. If you've read, ever read Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas end up being imprisoned for their faith. They get out of prison. What did they do? Verse 40, they go back and they visit Lydia and all the brothers. And the implication here there is that Lydia used all of her resources. She was a seller of purple goods, which means she was quite successful in the world, that she used all of the gifts and resources that she had so that the church could go forward. It's believed that Lydia was hosting at her household the first church in Philippi. And what's interesting to me is that she met Jesus, right? Paul knows she met Jesus, and he didn't hand her an apron and a Betty Crocker cookbook and say, hey, this is what God's role for you is. Right? What he did was, he said, here's where God's already at work. You are this businesswoman who's very successful in the world. Hey, why don't you use the gifts and resources that God's given you to serve the church? And that's exactly what Lydia did. So that brings me um, to this. Women are designed by God to impact every sphere of influence, both in public and in private. Right? Women are designed by God to impact every sphere of influence, both in public and in private. So, oftentimes, inside the evangelical world, and I can't speak for all generations, but I I have been around for about 20 years, and there's always been this subtle undercurrent between women who are wives and mothers and stay at home, and women that work outside the home. And they're both pretty entrenched in their own positions that this is what it means to really follow God, right? And they can subtly put pressure on one another to say, this is what godliness looks like. And, and this week, uh, I was one of the guys grinding on the floor <laughs> in the gym, and um, I was trying to f- listen to an audio book, and I listened to just a section uh, of a book called Yes, Please by Amy Poehler. So how many of you know Amy Poehler? All right, Parks and Rec, Saturday Night Live. All right, if not, go watch those shows. Um, Amy Poehler, I think she, she nails this issue. She says, so many times, like she's a successful comedian working inside the world. She'd go in her social circles. She would interact with someone that stayed at home with her children. And she would say, they would say something to her like this. I don't know how you do all that you do. Managing your career, having a husband, taking care of your children. And she said, what I heard when people would say that to me is, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing, right? And feeling this tremendous amount of shame and this tremendous amount of guilt. And then she said, but it it works both ways because, you know, she would be at a party and there would be a a mom there that stayed at home with her kids. um, And she would say something like, hey, I could never do what you do. It would drive me absolutely insane. And at that moment, right, what she's saying is you settled, right? You settled for this kind of lifestyle. And so I want to bring the gospel to bear a little bit on this because um, it should be different inside the church, but it's not. The reality is that God's designed women to have an impact both in the home and inside the, outside in the world, that both of those things are valuable Some people will participate in some of those in certain seasons of their lives. Certain seasons they won't. Um, But to bring the gospel to bear means this. Like, 
Discipleship is about following Jesus. It's not about taking your cues from the culture or even how you think you're wired, but it's what is Jesus actually calling me to do? What does it look like for me to follow Jesus and to submit yourself to the king? And then if we could apply this, I think woman to woman, I think it would be super helpful. 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. So if there was this culture where we actually believe the best about one another, right, where women didn't have to war about whether staying at home was the best or being involved in the community was the best, but there was love that triumphs over everything. Finally, I want to end with this. Where discipleship of women flourishes, God is glorified and the mission of the church is accelerated. Acts 18, this is the story of Priscilla and Aquila. Acts 18, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross into Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted Jews in public, showing by the, script, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And so, What we have here is this husband and wife team, and I think it's beautiful, Priscilla and Aquila pulling Apollos aside. They're listening to this very gifted, eloquent man preach and say, "Um, hey, buddy, um, you're missing a couple of things. Like he only knew about the baptism of John. He'd never even heard a fact that there was uh, this person of the Holy Spirit. So, So his ministry was lacking in some ways. And, and what I've never really thought about until I read this this week, the only way this story gets out is if Apollos says, Priscilla and Aquila were so important to me. He didn't say, Aquila, my brother, was so important to me. He said, I want you to make sure that you get Priscilla in this picture, right? She had discernment. She had valuable things to say to me. And what happened, because this husband and wife team were working together, the gospel goes ahead. The gospel is advanced. The church is strengthened. Now let's look at Romans 16 and the story of Phoebe. Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So most scholars believe that Phoebe delivered the book of Romans to the church at Rome. And in the first century, when a letter was delivered, there were certain privileges and responsibilities of the one that carried the letter. Um, They were given the privilege and the opportunity of explaining the letter to those that received it in case the people had questions about the author's intent. So I want to say this, like 
This is the book of Romans, which most people consider to be the deepest theological letter ever written on the planet. And Paul entrusts Phoebe, who is gifted and discerning and has resources and means. She was a patron. And she said, I want you to take this to the church of Rome. I have all of these other people at my disposal, but the person I want that could do this the best is Phoebe. Right? We have to wrestle with that and understand that God gives this reality of theological precision both to, in, these, in both of these pictures to Priscilla and to Phoebe because they understood God's word, because they could bring it to bear in a certain way. And just, I mean, just think of the horror if they got treated the same way that Beth Moore got treated, right? Where would we be today if they were not able to use the gifts that they do? So I'm not saying that we throw out any conversations about distinction, but what I am saying is, we must wrestle with what does it mean for women to flourish in the church of Jesus Christ, right? How do we create environments where women are able to use all of their gifts? I'm going to close with this quote from Tim Keller, and I think it sums it up well. He said, Just because God forbids one kind of role in the church to women, as he did in Israel, we must not jump to forbidding all teaching tasks to women. It's better to say that everything a man who isn't an elder can do, a woman can do also, right? So if you interpret 1 Timothy chapter 2 saying that, that pastoral and elder leadership is only for men, right? You, you can't just throw out every single thing that exists in Scripture to say that, yeah, there, there, that, there may be some distinction there, but you cannot throw out every other thing that Scripture says. So we want to be a place it's just like Jesus, because Jesus loved women, right? Women were the first evangelists in the world. Mary Magdalene going and telling the brothers that Jesus is alive. I mean, women so instrumental in the discipleship of the early church. I mean, all the guys except John, like they ran away and they fled and they hid. And who was at the foot of the cross? It was the women that were there. So What would it be like for us as a church to celebrate and value women the way that God celebrates and values women? Now, this isn't a once and for all edict, but this is a conversation that God is inviting us into. How are we going to pay attention? How are we going to respond? How are we going to affirm the things God affirms and celebrate the things that God celebrates? And the good news for someone like me that has not always done this well I don't know that I've ever intentionally marginalized anyone, but I have come under conviction this week. If I'm not actively celebrating and pursuing empowering women the way that Jesus did, that I'm falling short of my biblical mandate to lead us as a church. And so for the women here, if you've ever felt that, I'm sorry. Um, The good news for people like me is that the cross of Jesus Christ is greater than all of the failures inside the church. It's greater than all of the abuse and neglect. It's greater than wars between women over whether you should stay at home. It's the love of God that conquers all of these things. And so as we clothe ourselves in humility and we walk and we say, you know what, <laughs> I don't understand everything, but the, the dominant thing that I want to be the flavor and the aroma of our lives is love. Love covers a multitude of sins because Jesus gave up his life for us. So let's pray and let's celebrate all that God has done. Jesus, thank you for 
your great love for us. Thank you for the gift of women, I pray. There's not a woman here that does not walk away feeling loved, affirmed, and valued by you because they belong to you. I pray that you would use the good news of the gospel to triumph all of our failures and all of our sins, and I pray that you would continue um, to build us into a place where your kingdom goes forward and you cause us to flourish. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to continue to celebrate this morning by...